When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in. We. So three. Yeah. It is Monday, November 23rd, 2020, people. I hope everyone had a great weekend. And you know who had a great weekend? This guy right here. And you know why? It's because sometimes as I get ready to do this show, uh, it is really hard to come up with 25, 30, 40 minutes of really good content, not claiming my job is tough, not claiming that my life is tough. I'm just saying it's not always easy to come up with stuff to talk about on this show. Uh, but today is not one of those days. So I was going to lead with the FSU Clemson stuff anyway, and then out of nowhere, off the top rope, Dabo Sweeney comes out on Sunday night, just crushes FSU, uh, very scathing comments for canceling that game on Saturday. I will, what I, what I, what I want to do with that story is very simply get into it from both sides, give you the complexities. I do happen to agree with Dabo, and I do think it's actually a very important inflection point for college sports in general. I'm glad Dabo said what he said, and I think when I explain why, you'll understand, even if you disagree with me, I do think that it's important, okay? So we'll get into that. We'll break down a few games. I don't think it was a huge Saturday that we got to spend a ton of time on everything, but we'll talk a little bit of Indiana, Ohio State, maybe a little bit of Penn State, which is now 0-5 for the first time uh, in the history of the program, so not ideal. And we'll wrap actually with a little bit of college basketball. Auburn, Bruce Pearl, completely out of nowhere, uh, announced that they will uh, be self-imposing an NCAA ban on for this coming season, they will not play in the NCAA tournament. I will tell you why it's frankly not as big of a deal as people are making it out to be, but it is still a story which we get. We will get into as we wrap this show. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, all that good stuff in between. And finally, as I say on every episode, make sure to be following on social media uh, at Aaron Torres Pod on Twi- on Instagram. Excuse me, a lot of good stuff up on that page at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Um, you know, and I'm everywhere else: Facebook, YouTube, etc. I should also mention that unless something crazy on Monday happens, 
Tuesday's show will be completely dedicated to college basketball. Uh, Rob Douster will be joining me, great voice for college basketball. He will discuss uh, really everything about the season ahead. Really fun interview. I'll also give my preseason national championship pick, Final Four picks, all that good stuff. So a lot of good college hoops on Tuesday's episode. But today is Monday. Today is about college football. And so with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. Let's get into it. Let's jump into it. Uh, And as I said, I was going to lead with this Clemson, Florida State story anyway. And then Dabo Sweeney just took a whole bucket of kerosene, lit a match, blew it up, put it on fire, and has everybody talking about what is going on with the situation at Clemson and Florida State. And so like I said, I want to backtrack and kind of explain what happened, give you both sides perspectives, but then tell you frankly why I do agree with Dabo Sweeney. So to backtrack, uh, it was kind of crazy because for those of you who do follow me on Instagram, you know, every Saturday morning I wake up, I do a quick video, put it up on Instagram, giving out my college football picks for the day. And so I get get up uh, to do that on Saturday morning, probably about, I don't know, 6 o'clock Pacific time, 6.30 Pacific time. And kind of out of the corner of my eye, I see Florida State is trending on Twitter. And I said, hmm, that's weird. They stink. They're not very good. I wonder why they're trending. And so obviously I click a couple links and I read a couple stories and essentially what it really boils down to is this and I'll take you to the end and then we'll work back our way through it. Essentially Florida State and Clemson were supposed to play noon Eastern on Saturday and at the last minute Florida State pulled out and what it really boiled down to was that Clemson had one player who ended up testing positive after traveling with the team. Florida State did not believe that it was safe to play Clemson, even though that player wasn't going to play. Clemson, and this was something Dabo Sweeney talked about on Sunday, literally offered every single alternative that they possibly could. We'll stay an extra day. We'll play on Sunday. We'll play on Monday. Uh, We'll test a bunch more. We'll make sure all our guys are safe. And Florida State just said flat out, no, we're not going to play. Uh, The ACC, to a degree, got involved. For people who don't understand, the conference cannot make a team play. But Clemson essentially did pass the protocols to play. Obviously, the kid who tested positive would not have played. But under the ACC guidelines, under the ACC rules, um, Clemson was eligible to play. They wanted to play, and Florida State just said flat out it's not safe. So Florida State, or excuse me, the ACC puts out this very vaguely worded statement that basically says the two sides got on a conference call to discuss medicals. One side did not feel safe, and so the game will not be played. And so you know what happens from there. Immediately, the Clemson fans, oh, Florida State's totally ducking us. What are they afraid of? Florida State fans, oh, it's abundance of caution. We have to be safe. And of course, every, like every story, there's kind of a, a meeting in the middle. And so let's kind of explain why it happened, how it happened, and why, frankly, Dabo Swinney was so mad. So what you have to understand uh, is going into this game, first of all, Clemson had a player, as I mentioned, who tested positive. The way that I understand it is Clemson traditionally tests three times a week. Uh, they test on usually Sunday, Wednesday, and then Friday. But this particular week, because it was a bye week, they actually tested Monday, Wednesday, Friday. This kid um, showed some symptoms early in the week of potentially being sick. He did not fail a COVID test, though, on Monday. He did not fail it on Wednesday. And to take it a step further, Clemson went above and beyond and gave him an extra test on Thursday, which he did not test positive for COVID either. 
So he gets on the plane Friday having three negative COVID tests over the course of the week and takes the Friday test with the rest of the team. By the time they land, they realize this kid is tested positive. Um, so they obviously do what any logical team would do. They immediately quarantine him. Um, you know, my understanding is, you know, they would have quarantined anybody that was considered a close contact. But according to, the, to what Clemson said, the way that they travel, there are no close contacts. And I think that sounds like it could be crazy, but I think it could make sense, right? I mean, John Calipari at Kentucky was talking about this the other day. They all wear monitors around the building to make sure that nobody's in contact with anybody else. Clemson said that when they travel, they keep people at a distance so nobody is around anybody else. So it is possible in theory that while this kid tested positive, um, he no one else would have been exposed to the virus from him. And then to reiterate, um, Clemson basically said once they got to Tallahassee, look, we're willing to do whatever it takes to just get this game in. We came all the way down here. We're ready to play. And again, to reiterate what I said a minute ago, they said... Um, you know, we'll stay till Sunday, we'll stay till Monday, we'll test again, whatever. And Florida State just flat out refused. And so from Florida State's perspective, I think it is logical um, as to why you would say that they wanted to cancel the game. Clemson brought a player who tested positive. He was symptomatic through the course of the week. Uh, who knows if he could spread it to anybody. And, um, you know, we just, we just don't feel comfortable playing. It is, in theory, and in actuality, and in defense of Florida State, it is, it, uh, relatively speaking, a legitimate concern, okay? For the thousandth time, I've said it all since probably May, June, July, don't ever want to undersell the seriousness of this, don't ever want to undersell the seriousness of the virus, I know, I know people who have had it, you guys know people who have had it, some of us have know people who have gotten very, very, very sick, but... We also have to talk about in actuality and in reality, and I do understand the Clemson fan that is saying, kind of feels like Florida State was trying to duck us, and frankly, what Dabo said was just that Florida State was trying to duck us. And the reason why is very simply this, and I think there's a few things that you need to understand. First of all, I saw a lot of people on social media, how do you let a player who's symptomatic test positive? How do you let him practice all week? Uh, because he tested negative multiple times. When you say he, he was symptomatic, what that means is that he had a cold, he had cold and flu-like symptoms during the course of cold and flu season. He probably had a stuffy nose. He probably had a sore throat, um, whatever. But he was testing negative for COVID. And so to say that Clemson should have pulled him out of practice because he showed symptoms, uh, you know, to quote Angelina from Jersey Shore, uh, hello, remember that scene? If you don't, here it is. Um, hello? Are you stupid? They're taking their underwear off in the f***ing jacuzzi. Are you dumb? Hello? How'd you like that? That was pretty good, huh? But anyway, I'm, I, I'm getting off topic here with Clemson. Hello? You can't, and this is like something that no one understands at the most basic level. You can't simply pull out every single person who has any symptoms of COVID if they're testing negative. This is something that I've tried to hammer home to you guys in this audience, and I appreciate you guys letting me get on my high horse and talk about it, but I do think it's important. We want to keep student-athletes safe. We don't want anybody to get sick. In a perfect world, no one would get sick. But if we're going to start pulling out people who show symptoms that are not positive, 
we will not have a college sports season, okay? College football will be done. If we pull people out of practice or don't allow them to play who have symptoms of COVID but are not testing positive, we are not going to have seasons. You cannot have a season when you pull a kid out who has a runny nose, who has a sore throat. Those are symptoms of lots of different viruses that are spread throughout this time of year. And so to me, I don't blame Clemson for for letting him practice. I don't blame Clemson for bringing him when he had tested not only positive, not only did he test negative twice, they did an extra test to make sure that he was negative. They gave him an extra test on Thursday, which he passed, and at some point he got the virus on Friday. And so he gets to he gets to Florida State. Florida State refuses to play, and I think what we have to do is separate two things, right? We have to separate the fact from, yes, we want all of our athletes to be safe. With these, We have to separate that from the standard that Florida State set on Saturday. And the standard that Florida State set on Saturday is that if anyone tests positive under any circumstances, under any conditions, we're not playing. And I think that's a very scary standard to set when we're talking about a college basketball season where uh, you're talking about college football season where we still have two, three weeks left and you have a college basketball season where guess what? People are going to be in the air. People are going to be in the, on the road and we can't shut down every time somebody, somebody tests positive. And so what I want you to think about and what I really am trying to wrap my head around is essentially what Florida State canceled this game over. Florida State canceled this game over this very simply. Clemson had a player test positive. Florida State canceled under the premise that this guy who didn't test positive till Friday, even though he wasn't within six feet, even though they properly social distanced, even though they traveled in the safest manner possible, that this kid could still have not only given the virus to somebody else, but then then that player would then give it to players on Florida State. So we're now talking about three degrees of separation. By the way, that doesn't even factor in to the idea that if somebody at Florida State gets it, guess what? You quarantine them, you isolate them, they're going to be fine. I'm not trying to undersell this virus, but with the medical treatment that these kids have, None of them are going to have serious short-term, long-term, whatever consequences from this whole deal. They're not. We have the proof. We've been doing this for five months. As best I can tell, there is not a single college athlete that was under the medical supervision of their team doctors who has even been hospitalized from this virus. I'm not talking about death. I'm talking about hospitalized. Not a single one. Somebody try to tell me about some guy at Utah, some Utah football player that got hospitalized. Google it. The kid was not with the team. The kid either opted out of the season, quit, is in between semesters, whatever. He's not with the team who got hospitalized. And so I bring this up because that is the worst case scenario. But essentially what I'm saying is exactly what I just said a minute ago. Florida State canceled under the premise that a bunch of guys who tested negative, tested negative on Friday, may have caught the virus from one person, by the way, and that's the other thing too, and I'm sorry I keep changing the subject and changing directions, but there's so much nuance to this story that I want to make sure that everybody understands every detail. This is not 
like what has happened at other places. And, I, and I'm not the type of person that has said we have to play through every positive test and all that stuff. I brought up the example a few weeks ago of LSU. I brought up the example of the reason the Alabama game was canceled was because they had a ton of positive tests, players weren't healthy enough to play, and so they shouldn't play. It sucks. I love LSU-Bama. It's one of the best games on the schedule every year. But LSU couldn't play, and they had enough positive tests where they really would have put Alabama at risk. But what we're talking about with Florida State is a couple things. Is one, we're talking about one positive test at Clemson. Then we're talking about a, a bunch of players that were socially distanced from him, maybe catching the virus, even though it's very unlikely based on the way that they travel, the way that they test, nobody tested positive, and I know it can stay in your system for a little while before you test positive. I get that. But we're talking about that, and then we're talking about then giving it to a Florida State player. And so I do understand why Dabo Sweeney was so upset. I do understand why Clemson was so upset. And then I'll take it a step further as to what I said a minute ago. It's not just that we're talking about Florida State canceling a game over one player testing positive who then may give it to a teammate who may give it to a Florida State player. We're talking about Florida State canceling when by ACC protocols, the league would sign off on that game. The league said that it was safe to move forward. And on top of that, Clemson was willing to stay an extra day or two, and Florida State still said no. And Clemson was not only willing to stay an extra day or two, but from everything I'm reading, they're willing to do extra tests, they're willing to do extra everything, and Florida State just flat out refused. And so I bring this up because on Sunday, with all that as a context, Dabo went off. And I'm going to pair. I'm going to read his quotes from... David Hale, I believe he works at ESPN. Um, and what Dabo said, here's a couple of things that Dabo said, and then I'll get back into my point, is that <laughs> Dabo said, this game was not canceled because of COVID. COVID was just an excuse to cancel the game. To me, Florida State's administration forfeited the game. Then Dabo was asked about playing the game again. We were there, he said. We were ready. We met the standards to play. In my opinion, they forfeited the game. That's $300,000 that's gone out the window. And then he said, as a follow-up, which I thought was really interesting, that this has happened before throughout the season on both sides. There was a really good story from The Athletic that explained that Clemson had a similar situation earlier in the year where they traveled to a game, somebody tested positive, but the ACC uh, said that it was safe to play and they proceeded with the game. Dabo also used the example of Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence tests positive in the middle of the week. Boston College doesn't back out of the game. And Boston College ends up playing and coming to campus even though Trevor Lawrence tested positive. And so Dabo's quotes, first of all, were crazy. And I give him a ton of credit for a few different reasons. The first is, love him or hate him, agree or disagree. We ask our athletes, we ask our coaches, we ask our people in sports to be honest, to tell it like it is, and Dabo said what he truly believes. And I've already seen a bunch of media members crushing him, and oh, who does he think he is, and why would he say what he said? He truly believes it. Don't be a hypocrite. If you want our athletes to be candid and outspoken, you got to take it when you don't like what they have to say. Two, I think he said something that is really important. And I think what it goes back to is what I was saying a minute ago, is I think that Florida State set a really bad precedent for 
the whole college sports landscape as a whole. Because essentially what Florida State said was very simply this. If it is not 100% safe to play, if it is not zero tests across the board on both teams, zero positive tests, we are not going to play. And I think in theory, in a perfect world, where candy canes rain down from the sky and everybody's happy and healthy and the sun's always shining, that sounds great. But what I can tell you, that is not reality. That is not reality for where we are, where we are going, and the current landscape of sports in general. And it goes back to what I've said for the past probably five or six weeks when it comes to college basketball. We're talking about college basketball programs traveling across the country, charter flights, staying in hotels, going from place to place. And these schools, just like in football, are doing everything that they can to keep players safe. But we also have to understand that this is a virus. It is cold and flu season. I hate for the people that agree with me, I hate to keep hammering home this point, but I think it is so important for us to use common sense. I'm not saying that this virus isn't dangerous. I'm not saying that no one can get sick, that no one can get really sick. But what I am saying is that you cannot live in a world where we completely eliminate this virus and that we're not going to do anything or play anything unless it's 100% clean. Because if that's the case, we're not getting in college basketball season. I'm just telling you right now, we're not getting in college basketball season. College football is going to be a real struggle. I am just telling you. And I bring all this up because I think two things. I think one... I think most people, and I tweeted this on Sunday, and of course people got mad, but I don't really care. Who cares? Whatever. Most people in college sports agree with Dabo. Maybe they don't agree Florida State should forfeit. Maybe they don't agree that Florida State, whatever. But what they agree is that these protocols are so absurd and that, yes, we are going to do everything that we can to keep our kids safe. We're going to do everything we can to keep them healthy, but that we can't eliminate this virus. Not right now, not without a vaccine, and we can't stop the world until we do. And so what Dabo essentially said was, like, come on, man. Like, we got down to Florida State. We did everything that we could possibly have been asked to do to figure out a way to play this game, and we can't live in a world where we're waiting around for the perfect moment where there are zero positives, and we can play this game. That world doesn't exist. That world is not going to exist, at least until we get a vaccine, and frankly, probably much further. Because without trying to sound like a vaccine expert, I don't think everybody's going to be able to get a vaccine the first day it's available. And so what Dabo was essentially saying was like, come on, man. We flew down. One positive. We travel safely. We test regularly. We tested this kid three times before he tested positive. We will stay an extra day or two to get this game in. But you got to meet us somewhere in the middle. We're giving 100% and you're giving zero. We'll give you 90. We'll take 90 and give you the last 10. We'll stay an extra day. The ACC said it's okay. You have to be willing to do something that's not cancel anytime anyone tests positive. And I will say, I don't, so let me, let me even paraphrase before I get out of here. I don't want to say that Florida State definitively did not play and used one positive COVID test as an excuse not to play. I am not going to sit here and say that at this moment in time uh, because I don't know. And maybe it is 
quote-unquote, out of an abundance of caution that we have decided that Florida State is not going to play this game. But what I can tell you definitively is that there are a lot of people in college sports, and I'm telling you, I'm not doing the cool reporter thing, oh, I talk to people in college sports. I'm telling you because this is what they are telling me. And I think it's important for you guys to know what is being said behind those four walls because most guys don't have the cachet that Dabo does. Most guys can't say whatever they want to say. But there are a lot of people in college sports that really do believe that schools are using COVID as an excuse to get out of stuff that they don't want to do. I'm not saying Florida State did it. But I could see the argument from someone like Dabo who believes that. Same thing a few weeks ago with Wisconsin. If you remember, Wisconsin, when they had their outbreak of positive tests, it took out their starting quarterback, their second-string quarterback, their head coach, and they just decided we're not going to play. And it was out of an abundance of caution. And what did Nebraska say? Nebraska fans went crazy on social media. They were like, dude, you're passing the Big Ten protocols. You have the minimum number of players. Nebraska fans were like, we think you just don't want to play with your fourth-string quarterback and without your head coach. I can't speak to what happened behind the walls at Wisconsin. I don't know. But what I can tell you definitively is that there are people across college sports that think teams and schools are trying, are going to try to get out of stuff or are trying to get out of stuff and using COVID as an excuse. I'll give you another example. There's one school in college basketball. Baylor, you probably heard had a couple positive COVID tests on, uh, or no, excuse me, excuse me. Scott Drew, the Baylor coach, tested positive for COVID on Sunday, I guess it was. Number two team in the country. They travel to Mohegan Sun in my home state of Connecticut to play this week. They play Arizona State on Wednesday, I think, and they play Villanova on Thursday, or vice versa, whatever. But I bring it up because when the Scott Drew news uh, came across my feed, um, you know, first of all, great news. Scott Drew's asymptomatic, da 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 whatever. I think in his statement he said, I can't believe it. I had no idea I got it. But somebody reached out to me in college basketball, not from Baylor, not from Villanova, not from whatever, and they said, I wonder if, because Baylor is planning on still going to Mohegan Sun and still playing. They tested their players before they left. They're going to test them when they get to Mohegan Sun. Somebody texted me and was like, dude, if, if you had Baylor, the number two team on your schedule, and you don't want to play them, you could use this as an excuse. Well, I don't know. Scott Drew has it. Somebody else could have it. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen. What I am saying is that it could happen, and it would be an excuse, and you could use it as an excuse, and nobody could really call you out. And so I'm done talking about this. I'm over it. I want to talk about some of the actual games. But I bring all this up because I think this is a really important inflection point. I think it could go either way from this point. I think it could go either way from this perspective. I think it could go either way from the perspective that either Dabo gets crushed and, you know, listen, certain people are going to crush Dabo, right? Oh, you know, how could he say that? But I'm telling you, that's how people are talking behind the scenes. There's a lot of people in football that think Florida State punked out of their game against Clemson. But is it a good thing? where Dabo Sweeney finally spoke out and maybe people start to reconsider the absurdity that one player from Clemson tested positive. They were willing to wait two days. Everybody else, if everybody else tests negative, they play and Florida State refused. 
Are they willing to admit that Dabo is right? That a world where we're waiting for zero positive COVID cases ever isn't going to exist? And that Florida State overstepped their bounds by canceling this game? Or did Florida State just set a precedent, like I said, eh, you don't like the matchup, eh, you're on national TV, eh, you could get embarrassed, eh, the league signed off and said it's okay to play, but you know what, they had one single positive COVID, so we're going to cancel. I don't know, but I think that Florida State set a really bad precedent, and I do think that it's really important that Davos Sweeney called them out. <laughs> All right, man, I can't believe I just did 26 minutes on Dabo and Florida State, but listen, I, I'll, I'll say this. I do think it's a really, really, really important topic. Um, I think it's a really important topic to have a conversation about because like I said, there are a lot of people that think a precedent was set and the wrong precedent was set by what Dabo Swe- or about why what Florida State did, and I'm glad Dabo said it. So that's it. What I think I'm going to do is this, guys. I, this topic got me really fired up. Really fired up, huge topic, whatever. This is what I think I'm going to do. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back. I'm going to take my break now. You know, I've been doing that take a break thing. I'm going to come back now. I'm going to come back. And what I'm going to do uh, is just talk about the football stuff, right? I'm going to talk about a little bit about Indiana, Ohio State. I'll talk about Penn State. Maybe do a quick, like, playoff top three, top five. And then we will get into the Auburn stuff. I don't think Auburn is necessarily, like, a mega topic. uh, But I do think it's worth mentioning. We'll get to it at the end. Uh, But I'll just take my break now. I'm lucky. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just take the break now. I will be back in a little bit to talk Indiana, Ohio State, and all that good stuff. All right, everybody. Uh, I am back, uh, and I appreciate you kind of letting me do that rant right there on Dabo, Clemson, and Florida State. And what I'd say really quick before I move on, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, is uh, first of all, I just want to reiterate, I do understand this is a very sensitive topic. Uh, I do understand that uh, this is a sports podcast, right? And you want to talk about games and all that kind of stuff. But two things with that that are kind of the same. I think one, you know, my job is not always to say the softest, gentlest thing. It's to say not only what I believe, but what I am being told. And so what I'm being told behind the scenes by people in college sports is that we are doing everything we can to keep people safe. We are doing everything we can to keep our kids safe, uh, our coaches safe, travel safe, uh, distance when we're eating. I mean, you heard Eric Musselman on this show a few weeks ago talking about, are we going to take two buses to the arena instead of one? These schools are doing everything, but they are frustrated with some of these policies And I'm just telling you right now, there are schools that believe that Florida State used COVID as an excuse not to play Clemson. Uh, There are other schools that believe similar stuff has happened in their conference. Uh, There are schools that believe that it is going to happen in basketball. And so I am glad Dabo Sweeney brought it up to at least have the conversation, but we can move on from that. Uh, But again, I just want to reiterate, I understand it's a sensitive topic, uh, but I have to talk about what the topics are, and this is the big one of the day. But with that said, like there were games on the field, so let's have a little fun and let's talk about the big games that were on the field. And I think probably the most entertaining game of the day uh, was probably Indiana-Ohio State. I mean, some might say Rutgers-Michigan, but uh, we've talked about Michigan plenty on this show, so there is absolutely no need for me to go back in on that. Uh, but when it comes to, to Indiana-Ohio State, uh, was the the game of the day, the, the only top 10 matchup on Fox, highest rated uh, game of the day across college football, and it was really entertaining. <laughs> and so let's get into it, and I'm going to do what I do sometimes, which is rather than talk about the obvious topic, like Ohio State, right? Because 
to me, the story coming out of this game is not Ohio State. To me, the story of the game is actually Indiana. Now, we'll talk about Ohio State down the road, but as you guys know, and when I say down the road, I mean like in 10 minutes, but as you guys know, as I do on this podcast, uh, it's not always just about like, oh, this team won, so let's break it down, and on third down, they did this, and in the fourth quarter, they did that. To me, the story coming out of this game was Indiana, and it was the fact that I think on a national stage, they proved that they belong with the elite of college football this year. Now, I'm not saying that they're a playoff contender. I'm not saying that they deserve to beat Ohio State. Ohio State was the better team. I'm not saying that at all. But I think we all kind of came in a little questionable about Indiana. Well, they beat Michigan, but Michigan kind of stinks. They beat Penn State, but Penn State kind of stinks. Michigan State's terrible. Are they really that good? They're going to Ohio State. They'll probably get crushed. And instead, the exact opposite happened. They went four quarters, toe-for-toe with Ohio State, outplayed them in a bunch of regards, not saying they, they, they completely outplayed them and deserved to win, but outplayed them in a bunch of regards. And I think they really showed themselves well um, on the national stage and proved that at least for this one season, they absolutely belong in the conversation of maybe not the best three, four, five teams, but you know, you talk 10, 12, 15 teams, the Indiana's certainly in the conversation of that and probably the second or third best team in the Big Ten behind Ohio State and maybe Northwestern. If you watch the game, Um, It was kind of wild. Indiana falls down early, but even when Indiana fell down, and this goes into the they're better than we thought they were, they were creating all kinds of havoc on defense, right? I mean, I think most of us coming into the game, we knew Michael Penix, we knew some of the wide receivers, uh, Fry Fogle over there. Uh, We we knew that, that offensively, maybe they could move the ball. Ohio State's defense has had some holes throughout the season, which we'll get into in a minute. I don't think anybody at least not me, realized how much talent Indiana has on defense. They forced four turnovers for the game, three interceptions. We'll get to the interceptions momentarily. Uh, And defensively, they just got after Justin Fields all day. They made Justin Fields look pedestrian. Now, he had some great moments, but they also put some real pressure on him in a way that, frankly, I don't think I've seen anyone put pressure on Justin Fields with the exception of maybe um, the, the... college football playoff game against Clemson but when you're comparing a performance by Indiana to Clemson I think it shows how far this team has come but when I was watching the game I was expecting okay my maybe Indiana can move the ball that defense got after it three turnovers as I, four turnovers as I said three interceptions and eventually in the second half the offense caught up to them um, and it's a real shame that the offense didn't get going sooner because All of the turnovers were forced, and they couldn't capitalize and turn into points. But in the second half, Michael Penix started doing what Michael Penix has done all year, man. And again, I'm not claiming to be some Indiana football guru, but this kid was phenomenal against uh, Indiana or against uh, Penn State, phenomenal against Michigan. And you saw on Saturday, if you give him time in the pocket, he's going to make the throws. Finish the game. um, Excuse me. Finish the game with over almost 500 yards passing, five touchdowns, dropping dimes, throwing deep balls. And again, you give that kid time, he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks that I've seen in a long time come across college football. And I think his performance speaks to Indiana's performance as well, which is that usually when a school that's not traditionally good, um, you know, pulls an upset or keeps it close or is entertaining, you know, it kind of takes an extra human performance from one player or a wide receiver, or a quarterback, whatever. Whereas Michael Penix, I thought was a nice metaphor for the whole team. In many areas of the game, Indiana was the better team. Michael Penix 
for one day was better than Justin Fields. I thought in a lot of ways, um, I thought in a lot of ways, uh, the, the Tom Allen, the coach at, at Indiana, outcoached Ryan Day. Um, I thought the defensive line, at, at the very least in the pass rush, was as good as, uh, you know, outplayed Ohio State's offensive line. Now, Ohio State's offensive line had the edge when they were running the ball. They ran the ball down uh, Indiana's throat. I actually thought Ryan Day got a little greedy trying too hard to prove that Justin Fields was a Heisman Trophy winner when all he had to do was hand it off to his running backs. But you talk about the way the defensive line played, the defensive backs played, the quarterback played, the wide receivers played, and it just shows this team was awesome, and this team can play with anybody in the Big Ten. And so I'm not claiming that I know what's going to happen two, three, four weeks down the road. They still have Maryland, who's a high-scoring team. They still have Wisconsin, who plays really good defense. But could I see a scenario where Indiana finishes the season at 8-1 and one going into bowl season, 9-0, and oh, or 8-1, eight and, eight and 7-2 and going into bowl season? Absolutely I could. And so to me, I thought it was a great effort. I thought it was a great performance. I thought it was a great stage for Indiana football to show. This ain't your father's Indiana football team, man. Um, And I think it's a credit to Tom Allen, as I said. Not claiming that I know everything there is to know about this guy, but if you follow closely or if you've watched these these, um, locker room videos and stuff, it's clear that the players love him. It's clear that they adore him. There's been a couple where they have the big win against Penn State, the big win against Michigan. They're up on the stage. Coach, we love you. Um, And what I was so impressed by with watching Indiana is two things. One, as a general rule, they don't beat themselves. Now, they have moments where they get beat on a pass rush or Michael Penix throws an interception. But for the most part, you could tell they're really well coached. And you could tell that guy has a plan going into a game. And that guy has a plan on building his program. And as I watch college football more and more, I don't think we give enough credit to guys like that. You know, I watch somebody like Michigan that has completely revamped their offense over the last two or three years, trying to be something that they're not. And now, not only are they not good at the new stuff, they're not good at the old stuff they used to do, which was just block and beat the crap out of you on the line of scrimmage. Uh, There's other programs like that. I'm not thinking of any off the top of my head. USC's kind of going through that right now. Um, Whoever. There's plenty of programs to think about in terms of programs that don't have an identity, don't know what they're doing. I think that was part of Will Muschamp's problem at, at South Carolina. He never figured it out. I think it's Jeremy Pruitt's problem at Tennessee right now. And so I just give that guy so much credit. And so I, I just want to take a moment, appreciate Indiana football, because I really did think that they really showed themselves well, and I think they really proved that they belong on that national stage, excited to watch the rest of the season, and genuinely curious to see, can they beat Wisconsin? Can they beat um, Maryland, finish 8-1, and one and go to a really good bowl game? And maybe in that bowl game, they'll play um, either one, a BYU or Cincinnati, and two or two, you know, the second best team from the SEC that doesn't make the playoff, Florida, Texas A&M, somebody like that, because I do think it'd be a real challenge. But I just want to shout out Indiana because to me, they were the story coming out of that game, not Ohio State. <laughs> I do want to talk Ohio State, though. And what I would say very quickly with Ohio State is what I just said a minute ago. First of all, me being critical of Ohio State doesn't mean that they deserve to lose the game. They're overrated. They stink. That's not what I'm saying at all, okay? To be abundantly clear, not saying that, not saying they're not good, not saying they can't win a national championship. But when you come into the season ranked in the top five, when you openly talk about it's national championship or bust, when you, to their credit, fought for this whole season, 
um, because you believe you can win a national championship, we kind of got to pick you apart sometimes after a game like that because you're not being judged by what you do against Indiana. What you're being judged by is what you do against Indiana relative to how it will hold up against Clemson or Alabama or Florida or Notre Dame in the college football playoff. And so I think when I look at Ohio State, I would argue that maybe out of all the top four teams, if you include Notre Dame and Clemson and Alabama, I think they have kind of the biggest question mark out of all of them, and that's the defensive backfield. And I'll say I'm not really worried about the offense. I know it wasn't Justin Fields' best day, but I think, look, it was one of those deals where he's going up against a really good defense. He's going to have a really uh, uh, he's going to have bad days here and there. It's not reflective of him as a quarterback. Uh, I also thought the run game was awesome, as I mentioned a minute ago. Six yards per carry, uh, did whatever they wanted in the line of scrimmage. So I think the offense is where it needs to be. But I don't think it's unfair for an Ohio State fan to watch that game and be really worried about the defensive uh, the defensive side of the ball, specifically the defensive backfield. And they were great in the run game defensively, uh, held Indiana to a little old negative one rushing yard, but they also, as I said, Michael Penix threw for almost 500 yards passing on, uh, on Saturday afternoon. And so I know people say, oh, it's just one game. Well, first of all, it's not one game. Penn State was able to move the ball through the air against Ohio State. Actually, Nebraska was kind of able to move the ball through the air against Ohio State, which is terrifying uh, because Nebraska keeps switching quarterbacks. They can't get one quarterback figured out, let alone the two that they keep switching to try and figure out who's the best fit for what they do. Um, so I think, one, first of all, it's not, it wasn't just Indiana. Um, two, I would also say the stats back it up. I don't think people would believe this if I told them, but Ohio State, if you can believe this, in defensive pass, in pass defense, they actually rank, and this is crazy, I could not believe this when I see it, 115th out of 127 FBS teams. 115th out of 127. And I know part of that is because of the fact you just gave up 491 yards to Indiana. That's going to skew your numbers, especially when you only play four games as opposed to uh, teams that have played seven, eight, nine games at this point, right? I mean, if Clemson has one bad game, but they've already played eight games, it looks a lot different than Ohio State having one bad game. I would also say I don't think it's totally shocking. This was the biggest question about Ohio State coming into the season was their secondary. They lost three starters, including Jeffrey Akuda, who was the number three pick in the draft to the Detroit Lions. Shout out to the Lions, who were just terrible, by the way. Um, and Will Fuller, who was, uh, or not Will Fuller, uh, Jordan Fuller, who was their safety and kind of their leader on defense. So it's not as though this was completely unexpected, but it doesn't change the fact that it is a problem. And it doesn't change the fact that when I look at the bigger picture of all this stuff, I do think like there's a little reason for Ohio State to be concerned. Because again, it's not about what happened against Indiana. It's about what does it mean for when you have to play Clemson, you have to play Alabama, and you have to play Florida. And not only if you have to play those teams, but how they're trending. Like I look at Alabama, and I'm not gonna spend a ton of time, I'm not gonna spend any time talking about Alabama, Kentucky, because it was an abomination. I watched a lot of that game because I know how many Kentucky fans listen to this show. Um, but you know, Alabama is not only undefeated. But I think you can legitimately make a case. They've basically gotten better every single week. Defense struggled early, got better against A&M, got better against Georgia, had some moments here and there, and now they're really rolling. 
Um, and I thought what was most impressive about the Alabama game on Saturday was they were coming off two straight weeks of, uh, of not playing. They hadn't played since Halloween, okay? As I said to lead the show, it's November 23rd. So they played on the 21st. They hadn't played since Halloween, which is just crazy to think about. But they're getting better. Mac Jones is awesome. Can you imagine Steve Sarkeesian and what Mac Jones could potentially do against that Ohio State secondary? How about Trevor Lawrence? Not sure if you heard of him. That guy's pretty good. Well, guess who Ohio State could be facing in the first round of the playoff? Trevor Lawrence and Clemson again. So there's that. Kyle Trask is another one. Florida. I mean, imagine if Florida upsets Alabama and all of a sudden Ohio State has to play Florida in the playoff. Even Notre Dame, Ian Book, he's played really well. So I'm just bringing all this up to say I think this is a real problem, and I think it's something that has to get fixed in a hurry because, again, the standard is not Indiana. The standard isn't Michigan or Michigan State or Penn State. The standard is Clemson, uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, et cetera, and I do think it's a big thing, and I'll just be curious to kind of watch it over the next couple weeks um, because I'm just curious to see how it goes. And I'm curious to see if Ohio State can get it figured out, and I'm curious to see if they can get it figured out in time for Alabama, Clemson, and more. All right, last kind of big picture thing. Then I want to do some quick small stuff and then get to Auburn basketball. Like I do got to talk about Penn State football. Um, I've largely avoided it so far because I just think like, I just kept saying like, they'll figure it out, they'll figure it out, they'll figure it out. I trust James Franklin, which I know a lot of Penn State fans listening are going to say, you're crazy, you suck, you don't know what you're talking about. You trust James Franklin. But I do trust James Franklin. But after watching Saturday, playing Iowa, Iowa did whatever they wanted. I don't think Iowa's a bad team by any stretch, by the way. Um, watching the Iowa game, you know, I, I, it's really bad. Um, but I have given James Franklin the benefit of the doubt. But I do think it's fu- you got to talk about it, right? I mean, they're 0-5, first time in school history that they're 0-5. And to me, I think a lot of Penn State fans think it's a big indictment on James Franklin. He's been overrated the whole time. You know what I think it is? I think it's an indictment on the biggest problem James Franklin has had, which is rearing its head this year, which is the lack of ability to develop a star quarterback. No different, by the way, than Georgia, Michigan, Tennessee, on and on and on and on and on. But I think it's rearing its ugly head, and I think because of opt-outs, because of injuries, because of stuff like that, it's made worse at Penn State because the surrounding cast uh, is not <laughs> the surrounding cast is not there the way that it once was, and so when I look at Penn State, um, you know it's kind of crazy, right? Because every fan base has its lunatics and craziness and all that stuff, but like Penn State fans weirdly do not trust James Franklin at all, and I can't say that I like really get it, right? Like I think overall, he's actually been pretty good as a head coach. You look at his overall track record. Uh, first of all. Last four years, 11-3 last year, 11-2 the year before, 9-4, and and 11-2. and I take that back. It was 11-2 last year, 9-4 and the year before, 11-2, and 11-3. Uh, he is largely the only coach in the Big Ten that has given Ohio State any problems at all. Um, obviously, beat Ohio State, uh, what was it, in 2016. The 2017 game was decided by one point. The 2018 game was decided by one point. Last two years have been competitive, but not as close. But, I mean, you're talking about three straight years where you beat them, you lose by one, you lose by one. Um, And so, like, I I, I don't really understand why Penn State fans hate James Franklin that much, other than that, obviously, I get the goal at a school like Penn State. You've got to win a national championship, got to get to the playoff. Penn State was really close. They haven't gotten there yet. 
Um, but apparently there's a lot of Penn State fans that do not trust James Franklin. And so when I look at this team specifically, I think it comes back down to what I said a minute ago. I think it's his inability to develop a quarterback. And what's crazy is, and I've talked about this with a lot of other people, is he's basically recruited really well and been able to develop everything else. I looked up the recruiting rankings just to make sure I'm not going crazy. In 2020, Penn State had the 15th ranked recruiting class. 2019, they had the 12th ranked recruiting class. 2018, they had the 6th ranked recruiting class. 2017, they had the 15th ranked recruiting class. Now, recruiting experts will tell you there's a big gap between, say, 1, 2, 3, Alabama, Ohio State, maybe Georgia, and even 7, 8, 9. But when you're talking about four top 15 classes in the last four years, you got a lot of talent in your program. The problem is, again, at the quarterback position. Before this year, well, this year it was Sean Clifford. Last year it was Sean Clifford, but before Sean Clifford was a kid named Trace McSorley. Really good college quarterback. Um, as best I can tell, I don't believe he's playing in the NFL right now, but he kind of was who he was as a college quarterback. He won you a lot of games, but when you had to go ahead and put a team on your back, and I guess, by the way, he's on the practice squad for the Baltimore Ravens, who knew? Six-round pick, Trace McSorley. Um when you talk about um, Penn State, been a really good team, had a really good college quarterback, and beat the teams they were supposed to. They beat Maryland and Rutgers, and some years they beat Michigan, and some years Michigan beats them, and some years they beat Wisconsin, and some years Wisconsin beats them. They beat Iowa up until Saturday. But what I think Penn State is a metaphor of is something that I talk about a lot on this show and for people who listen to it regularly, you've heard me make this rant and I've talked about it specifically with Georgia. I believe college football is getting to the point where it is essentially like the NFL. It is now a quarterback-driven sport. And what do I mean by that? You look at the teams that are competing religiously for college football playoff bursts, what do they got in common? They got NFL-caliber quarterbacks leading them on their roster. Clemson, the last two years, and this year, of course, Trevor Lawrence, before him, Deshaun Watson, Alabama, Tua, Oklahoma, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield, two number one overall picks, and a guy in Jalen Hurts who probably should be starting because Carson Wentz is terrible, but neither here nor there. Joe Burrow last year. Um, I mentioned Tua, but then you mentioned the teams that get to the playoff that can't compete at that level. You're talking about a Notre Dame team that got blown out a few years ago with Ian Book, who just isn't an NFL-caliber quarterback. Uh, Michigan State, the year that they got to the college football playoff, did not have an NFL-caliber quarterback. Washington, a few years ago, got to the college football playoff, did not have an NFL-caliber quarterback, and it doesn't matter how good the personnel is around them, you just can't win. And so that's kind of my issue with Penn State is for years they've had a really good college quarterback. They've taken care of the teams that they're supposed to. But when you're going against a Dwayne Haskins, when you're going against a Justin Fields, when you're going against those kinds of teams, you just don't have the dude to go throw for throw, score for score. But the problem is everywhere else is good enough. It's just not good enough when you play the elite of the elite in college football. And to take it a step further... Um, the reason I think, all, why I bring all this up is because I think it's crystallizing itself this year. If, if I had to give you one thesis for what's going on, I would say that overall, 
Um, I think it's very simply that in years past, the talent outside of the quarterback position was good enough to get by an Iowa, to get by an Indiana, to get by a Maryland, and now it's not. Um, And that's not, uh, you know, some of it's not James Franklin's fault. Um, You know, their leading rusher from last year, Journey Brown, had to medically retire from football because of a very scary heart ailment that wasn't related to COVID, thank goodness. Um, their backup running back, Noah Kane, second leading rusher, hurt out for the season. Their best defensive player, Micah Parsons, out for the season. And so when you take out a team's two best rushers, uh, a, a top 10 pick on the defensive side of the ball, all of a sudden you need a little bit more out of the quarterback and you're not going to get it. And so for a Penn State fan who's maybe listening to this show for the first time, I want to make one thing abundantly clear. I'm not saying James Franklin takes no accountability for this at all. Because at the very least, you got to blame them like we do with Jeremy Pruitt, with Kirby Smart, with Jim Harbaugh for not being able to develop a quarterback. And for whatever reason, there's just not enough depth at the other positions this specific year. But if I had to, again, do an overarching what is wrong with this program, why is it the way that it is, I would just say you've had really good college quarterbacks, but not an NFL star type quarterback and you've gotten the results of what a really good college quarterback will give you if you don't have that guy. I'll be curious. I don't know what the answer is, how you get that guy. I don't know if you change the coordinator. I mean, obviously, they had their most success when Joe Moorhead, the former Mississippi State coordinator, was their uh, coordinator. So Mississippi State head coach, excuse me. So I don't know what happens. I just think it's interesting, and I think nobody's talking about it. But to me, that is why. They are 0-5. All right, two quick little notes on college football. We'll get to Bruce Pearl. First of all, I just want to give a quick shout-out to Northwestern. Um, beat Wisconsin 5-0 and uh, and in position to go to the Big Ten title game where uh, because they beat Wisconsin. And they now have a one-game lead in the standings with three games to go. They would have to lose twice to not get to the Big Ten championship game. Um, I just want to give a quick shout-out to, to Pat Fitzgerald, their head coach. Um, I don't think people realize how hard Northwestern is as a job. Uh, I think it's pretty equivalent to Vanderbilt in the SEC, where you're going up against a bunch of public schools with a lot of money, huge alumni base, all that kind of stuff. You're in a city, it's a small school, it's an academic school, and I don't think people realize how good Pat Fitzgerald has been. Two 10-win seasons, five 9-win seasons over the course of his time at Northwestern, and I think it's really hard at a school like that. Um, For people who don't know, he is an alum, so I doubt that he ever leaves. But I will say, I was thinking it, and I saw a couple other people tweet it, is, you know, Michigan's going to have a head coaching job opening at the end of this season. And you're going to call Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle's probably going to say no because he's an Ohio State guy. Um, And after Luke Fickle, all of a sudden, the candidates aren't that great. And I do wonder if Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern – It is his alma mater. I don't think that he would leave, certainly not for another school in the Big Ten. I might try to give him a call, though. I might just see, hey, I'm just asking, just curious. Is this something you'd be interested in? Because I think Michigan could do a lot worse, but I do want to shout out Northwestern. Also, real quick on Georgia, uh, JT Daniels was awesome, and I give that kid so much credit. Uh, I might have talked about it on the show Thursday. I can't remember. But, you know, there's sometimes with this stuff on Twitter and social media and all that where I do think sometimes – narratives start to form and and, and people can't really, um, you know, people become punchlines on social media and and you can't really get out of it. Um, And so I just want to give the kid JT Daniels credit for people who don't know, he was the number one high school player in America uh, his senior year, number one quarterback anyway, gets hurt, 
um, has to or wins the starting job as a true freshman. I should say he wasn't number one, but he was top three. It was the same year as Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. But he was a five-star quarterback, record setter, modern day. Goes to USC, wins the starting quarterback job. Uh, they go five and seven. Then the first game of the season, he hurts himself. The kid who's now the quarterback at USC, Keaton Slovis, comes in and uh, wins the job, obviously gets the job because he's hurt and has a really good year, and JT Daniels decides to transfer. And so it becomes the thing of, oh, typical SoCal kid. He's soft. He doesn't want to compete. And it's like, and oh, by the way, he stunk. They went five and seven. Well, first of all, when he went five and seven, um, that year that whole team was freshmen, and I know I do the Fox Sports Radio show every Saturday night, and those games are on in our studio and every game, they had a lead and just couldn't close because when you have a team full of freshmen, sometimes it takes a while to learn how to do stuff um, and learn how to win games and close out games. And I think it was their last four games of the season, they had a lead in going into the second half and couldn't hold on. Um, so I never bought the narrative, and so I'm happy to see him have success for at least one game. He looked really good against Mississippi State. We'll see what happens from there. Last piece, Jeremy Pruitt. I was going to do a big segment on it, but there's just too much other stuff with this Dabo stuff. So, like, all I'll say really quick is, um, is uh, all I'll say really quick on Jeremy Pruitt is I can't believe we're here again with Tennessee. I couldn't believe this stat when I saw it. Peter Burns, the SEC Network, was the first person I saw put it out. He said that Tennessee, uh, it was the first time in school history they have lost five straight games by double figures which considering the Butch Jones era, the Derek Dooley era, I cannot believe that that never happened, but it just shows you where Tennessee is. Um, and there's probably a bigger time to, to talk Tennessee. Uh, they lose to Vandy. That's certainly going to be a big conversation, but there's too much else going on, so I don't want to talk about that. Do very briefly, want to wrap up on Auburn basketball. And this one I'm not going to spend a ton of time on, but on Sunday you saw the announcement Auburn basketball has decided to vacate or not vacate, excuse me, they have decided to sit out the 2020-2021 NCAA tournament and the postseason as a punishment, it appears, for what happened, not even it appears, Bruce Pearl put out a press release, um, but for what happened uh, with the FBI stuff. And so uh, a couple things, and, and you know, honestly, my reaction isn't really that much of a different reaction from everybody else, is that I do believe a couple things. First of all, for people who don't remember, Chuck Person on Bruce Pearl's staff did a lot of really sketchy stuff, took a lot of money. It's it's debatable how much made it to the players, but the guy took a lot of money from agents to connect players who are no longer in the program, Austin Wiley and Danielle Purifoy, with agents, with middlemen, financial people, whoever. Um, and again, I don't know how much money exactly got to them. The NCAA is going to announce that here probably pretty soon. Um, but it was enough where, where apparently Bruce Pearl was concerned. And so he did what, what Rick Pitino and Louisville did a few years ago, uh, what some other schools have done, which is basically self-impose a one-year postseason ban. And what that means is the school is basically saying, like, look, look, NCAA, we're sorry for what we did. Uh, as punishment, before you can even punish us, we'll punish ourselves by sitting out of this postseason. Um, and I don't know that it works, and I think it's a little hypocritical. I feel bad for the kids on campus. I don't believe that schools should be able to do that, or if they do, I think they should have to do it before the semester starts. So if a player wants to transfer, if a player who's not involved wants to start over another school, they should be allowed to, but you can do it, and Auburn did it, and it's very obvious the reason why. Well, two reasons, really. One, they saw what happened at Oklahoma State. And I'm not going to go into every FBI case in college basketball, but at Oklahoma State, you probably remember, um, 
we talked about it on the show, had Mike Boynton on the show, had Kate Cunningham on the show, and Oklahoma State got a one-year postseason ban because of a coach taking a couple hundred bucks and giving it to a player. Um, and ironically, at Oklahoma State, the player actually sat out, was punished, sat missed games, and they still got a one-year postseason ban. And I think it was ridiculous, and I think it was absurd, but I think Auburn saw that and said, you know what, if Oklahoma State got a one-year postseason ban, Maybe we should just give ourselves one and hope that the NCAA leaves us alone. Um, but then I think the second thing is very simply this. Auburn knows they're going to be really bad this year. And I think that was the part I joked about it on Twitter, but it's the truth, is that, look, I'm not going to break down their depth chart here, but they lose their top six scores off of last year's team. Uh, Isaac Okora was just drafted. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Daniel Purifoy's gone. Austin Wiley's gone. Samir Doughty's gone. Their window was two seasons ago when they made a Final Four last year, and this was going to be a rebuilding year by any stretch of the imagination. You add in the fact that it's also a COVID situation. It's the deal that we've talked about all show and all season, where it's going to be insanity across college basketball, getting in games, are we going to have a tournament, it's going to be in a bubble in Indianapolis. And so I think Auburn and Bruce Pearl, I don't know if Bruce Pearl had any say in it, but I think Auburn just kind of said, you know what, we're going to stink anyway, it's kind of a crazy year. Let's just sit this one out. Um, and again, I don't like it. I don't think schools should be allowed to do it. But it is why Auburn did it, and I'll be curious to see what happens next. I'll be curious to see if it's enough for the NCAA or if the NCAA, which, as I've said many times, seems to want to make an example out of all these programs, if the NCAA says, like, look, we appreciate you sitting this one out, but let's call a spade a spade here. What you did is worse than Oklahoma State, and you are going to be punished accordingly. I'm not rooting for that. I'm not hoping for it. I still don't believe that schools or, excuse me, players that were not involved should be punished. I don't believe that the players on Auburn's team should be punished for a coach that, frankly, hasn't been on campus since they got there. That would be the assistant coach, Chuck Person. But I also think the NCAA doesn't necessarily have to sit down and say, well, you know, Auburn, I mean, look at what they did. They, you know, they, they, they backed off. They were really nice. No. You broke the rules. You have to be punished. You can't punish yourself. It's like I joked on Twitter. Like, like if I screw up, I don't get to come home and tell my wife, honey, I'm sorry I screwed up. Uh, here's my punishment that I've, uh, that I've imposed on myself. I'm going to sleep on the couch. I'm going to eat ramen. Uh, and we'll be good after that, right? No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. When your kid gets a bad grade in school, they don't get to come home and tell you, you know what, I'm going to go put myself in timeout for a half an hour uh, as punishment for this D I got in biology. That's not how life works. It's not how parenting works. It's not how being a husband or wife works, and it shouldn't be how NCAA basketball works. But I'll be really curious, and I'll also end on this one last thing, is that I'm curious if maybe it's a sign that things are pretty bad at Auburn and worse than we thought. And the reason being... Um, if you know a one-year postseason ban is coming, you could wait for the NCAA to do it. But if you're really worried that they're going to throw the hammer at you, like really come after you, maybe you get ahead of it and say, like, look, we're really sorry about what happened. Like, like let us start this process. You finish it. Um, but I do believe that there's a possibility that even worse stuff comes out. Uh, we will find out in the coming days and weeks and months. But uh, that is all for Auburn basketball. All right. I've talked forever, man. Talked forever. Great Monday show, though. As I said at the top of the show, so much on today's Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. And I appreciate you guys uh, sitting through with me and, and being a part of this show and what I do. Truly appreciate it. And as I mentioned, fun week ahead. Uh, Tuesday's show. Rob Douster, formerly of NBC Sports. He now uh, is the owner of a college basketball podcast network. 
He'll join me. I think he's one of the great young voices in college basketball. And we'll just talk about the season ahead. Um, I will also, of course, uh, give out my preseason national championship predictions, my preseason player of the year, all-American team, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's going to be Monday, uh, Tuesday's show. Of course, if anything happens with Dabo or anything new happens in football, I'll, of course, talk about that. But probably going to be a heavy college basketball show. Thursday's show, I will put out a show on Thanksgiving Day. And we will talk about the reaction to the college football playoff rankings. We will talk about the reaction to the first day of college basketball. So really fun episode. Uh, And then really, I think, frankly, as we go on in time, uh, we're going to find a balance between college football and college basketball. Uh, But that's all for today's show. I want to thank you guys for listening. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres underscore underscore Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Uh, And of course, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I'll be back Tuesday. A lot of college hoops with Rob Douster.